I'm Neil Scott. Welcome to South Sound Spotlight. And this week in the spotlight is the Pierce County Conservation District coordinating Orca Recovery Day. It's a big, big event. It's coming up next weekend, Saturday, October 19th. Now, we're going to discuss the plight of the orcas and how everyone can play a role in Orca Recovery Day. Our guest is Alan Warren. He is the Communications and Development Director of the Pierce County Conservation District. They promote and advance the conservation of renewable resources in Pierce County. Pierce County Conservation District, by the way, celebrating their 70th anniversary this year. How about that? My co-host is Marita Davison. She is the co-founder of Caravan Lab and executive producer. Marita is a key part of the creative engine behind Caravan Lab. You can find out more about them at caravanlab.com. She's got a depth of experience in science-related media production. She's produced award-winning videos and topics ranging from sustainable cattle ranching to coral bleaching in the Great Barrier Reef. Marita is also an on-air correspondent for Techno. That's a science and television program carried internationally on the Al Jazeera networks. Orca Recovery Day coming up next weekend, Saturday, October 19th. Uh, And Alan, let's begin with the obvious question. How did Orca Recovery Day start? And really, what's it all about? It, It started last year, last fall, and it was basically an outpouring of grief from Tahlequah and her dead calf, the, the media coverage that that sustained as she went on a 17-day, 1,100-mile journey of just tragedy. Gut-wrenching. Gut-wrenching yeah. is, is exactly what it was. And my team and I were sitting there driving home day after day. It was this sense like, what the hell am I supposed to do about this? Yeah. And if I had that sense as somebody who works in this field and is supposed to do something about it, what does the average person feel like? And this was getting international coverage. My team and I sat down and brainstormed, like, what can people do about it? And it started with a simple social media post, which was, here's 10 actions you can take. Install a rain garden, you know, help restore salmon habitat, reduce your pollution by not putting fertilizer on your lawn, those types of things. And it took off. And there was this outpouring of thanks, of I've been watching this. I've been in tears. I've been Mm. trying to figure out what to do about it. And thank you for this. So we built on it. It's like, what else can we do? Conservation district, you have have essentially a conservation district in every county. So you have 12 counties around Puget Sound. It's 12 conservation districts. We coordinate and try to work together on things when we can. And I threw out the idea to, to that group. What if we all did a a day, a single day, where we all do a restoration activity, whether it's salmon habitat restoration or rain garden installation or any number of things. They liked it, and then funders liked it. So the Washington State Conservation Commission got on board. The Milgard Foundation got on board. Suddenly, we were off and running. And then some nonprofits got on board as well. We ended up having 17 events last year across Puget Sound. Just under 800 people showed out to volunteer or to take part. You know, Congressman Denny Heck showed up to the Thurston Conservation Mm -hmm. event, and it was just great. And so we wanted to keep it going. And this year it's it's gone gangbusters. My co-host is Marita Davison. Marita? Yeah, so Ellen, I mean, you're talking about how this one event really galvanized a movement in many ways that's now continuing. I'm wondering... I mean, what are your thoughts on whether it was the event itself and the despair and that that gut-wrenching feeling that really got the momentum behind this versus the idea that 
you know, there really are things that I can do. This is not a lost cause. It's not too big that I just can't really find a way to get involved. What's your sense of that? I think in terms of what drove it last year, I think it's a little bit of both. You know, that media coverage, we had 100 people at our event, which is big for a restoration planting event. Probably 80% of them were people that had never even heard of a conservation district before, didn't hadn't volunteered for that type of thing before. And so I think it was like there was a ton of media coverage. People were wanting to do something, countering that grief with here's something you can do, certainly provided people with that avenue. The thing I've been worried about this year is like, we don't have the equivalent media coverage. We don't have that heart gut-wrenching grief. Thankfully, yeah. Yeah, right? And at the same time, there's like, has public interest moved on to where we're not going to see the same turnout? And then, like, that was my kind of concern coming into the year. And now, all of a sudden, we're at 75 events, and that's changing by the day. Hundreds of people last year is now going to be thousands of people from British Columbia all the way down to Napa Valley, California. We started early to try to get additional sponsors on board. So last year I mentioned we had the State Conservation Commission and we had Milgard Foundation. This year we've been able to add Boeing, Puget Sound Energy, the Russell Family Foundation, the Shell Refinery up in, in Skagit, this group called One Tree Planted, which is an awesome group that's funding not only events, but they're providing per tree planted um credits of 80 cents per every tree planted, which has been an awesome addition. And so we started kind of there. We put together a sponsorship package trying to get funding in place so that we could grow it into 40 events. And 40 was kind of the aspirational goal. Let's let's double what we did last year. At the time, I thought that was going to be a big lift. Yeah. And, and now I'm just holding on. Our guest is Alan Warren on uh, South Sound Spotlight. He is the Communications and Development Director for the Pierce County Conservation District. Talk a little bit about the southern resident numbers, and apparently they're continuing to drop. Why is that? So there's there's 73 individuals left in the, in the southern resident population. And the primary reason their numbers continue to drop is they're starving to death. Their primary food source is Chinook salmon. Chinook salmon in this region are also endangered species. They were listed as an endangered species in 1999, maybe 98, but their numbers have continued to climb. So then you add on top of that, living here in the Puget Sound, everybody knows we get a ton of rain. Well, all that rain hits our yards, it hits our, the streets, it hits you know our rooftops, and it carries everything that we put on the ground right down into Puget Sound. And so 14 million tons of pollution hit Puget Sound every year. Oh, man. Which goes up the food chain. Little bugs pick up the pollution. Small salmon eat the bugs. Orcas eat the salmon. And that just builds up in their blubber. The issue with pollution is kind of doubly heartbreaking in the sense like in normal circumstances that would build up in their blubber and it wouldn't really have that big of an impact on orca. But then when they start starving, they pull their fat reserves Mm. and it's just like a toxic sludge going straight into their bloodstream. And so now you've got three more adult orcas as part of the southern resident population are presumed dead as of this summer. 73 is an extremely low number, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, we're talking about a really, a, a population that's really on the verge of collapse. Right. That's the tricky part with it too, is that this, this population they don't really know what the historic numbers were, but it was probably at least double that, 
but it can give you this sense of like, oh, there's still time. The science tells us that if they go down another 10 or 15 members, they're just not going to recover. There was a couple calves born last winter that have uh, to date survived. So that was like a really strong sense of hope. But then three adults are, as of this time, presumed dead. They haven't formally like been able to, to make that official, but nobody's seen them. For how how are they time. spotted? How are they counted? So there's three different pods. There's J-pod, L-pod, and um, K-pod. And J-pod is the one that's most resident. Southern resident is kind of a misnomer. They're not actually residents to Puget Sound. They travel as far south as Northern California and as far north as British Columbia. But J-pod is the one that spends the most time in the interior waters of Puget Sound and Salish Sea. K-pod and um, L-pod travel quite a bit. And so scientists track them. The whale watching tours out on San Juan Islands. I took my family out there last year. We got to see J-pod. It was incredible. Marita? You were talking about how 73, some people might say, well, you know, that doesn't, you know, that, that sounds pretty big to me. I mean, I'm a biologist, so that, that sounds small to me. Right. I will say that. But the, the heart of the issue is that the population is not able to successfully reproduce, right? right? So you've got these adults, they're long-lived animals, right? Mm-hmm. The fact that they're surviving doesn't really say much until you look at whether or not they're having healthy babies. And that seems to be what's really driving the issue. And the 73 doesn't mean like all of them are producing. You mm-hmm. know, there's only a handful of males that are responsible for most of the progeny and only a handful of females that are breeding calves. One of the adults that died this summer was a, a female that, that has been a successful breeder in the past. And so that's a major hit. Yeah. You know, they've got a lot working against them. Our population in Puget Sound has doubled in the last 40 years. It's projected to double again in the next 40 years. If we don't figure out a way to minimize our individual impact, let alone our community impact, not only with orca, but with salmon, with trees, with everything that most people love about the Pacific Northwest, faces some dramatic degradation yeah. if we don't start figuring it out. And everything we love will, will go away. I grew up in Alaska, and then I spent summers in the Bay Area, California. I moved here about seven years ago, and I've I've always associated this place as being the in-between, and not just geographically, but culturally and environmentally as well, where I saw from the early 90s to today, the Bay Area become this concrete jungle. And there's enough of Puget Sound left for me to be able to see what it once was compared to Alaska. And there's enough that's been taken away for me to see what it could become if we don't change the way that we develop and the way that we live in terms of it becoming like the Bay Area. Alan Warren is joining us. He is the Communications and Development Director for the Pierce County Conservation District. We're talking about Orca Recovery Day. It's coming up next weekend, Saturday, October 19th. You mentioned the salmon, and certainly removing the four lower Snake River dams has gotten a lot of attention when it comes to salmon recovery. How does that relate to this issue? It relates to this issue because the orca eat the Chinook salmon Mm -hmm. that go up the Columbia River and into the snake, and it's an important food source for them. And the argument for removing the dams is that if you remove those four dams, it would open up something like 5,500 miles of really pristine salmon habitat. So the theory would be then that the populations of salmon would increase, the orca would have more food, 
and things would be better in that sense, which is a sound argument. The problem with the dams is it's somewhat seen as a silver bullet, that if you just remove those dams, everything's fixed, and that couldn't be further from the truth. I don't believe there's been a study on this, but we have a ton of what's called fish passage barriers in Puget Sound, so a culvert on a stream that fish can't swim through. Some of the bridges that have logs built up around them that haven't been maintained properly that fish can't pass through. If you took all the barriers out to salmon streams just in Puget Sound throughout all our watersheds, I would be willing to bet you that it would open up as much salmon habitat as the Snake River dams would. The big issue is that, say, the federal government decided to remove dams. It would be immediately litigated. It would be tied up in courts for decades. Assuming that the dams, the Supreme Court, which it would end up at the Supreme Court eventually, and the best corollary to that is the Washington Tribes versus State of Washington lawsuit that just got finalized last summer, Supreme Court ruled in favor of the tribes to say the state has to remove all of the barriers on state roads that are blocking fish passage. That took 17 years to work its way through the courts. The same thing would happen with the Lower Snake River dams. And so 20 years in the courts, and then assuming it all goes well, you have to remove the dams, that's going to take another 10 years. By the time that happens, the orcas would be dead. We don't have that kind of time. We don't have that kind of time, and it would impact real communities in a way that would be just devastating for the agricultural communities out in the eastern Washington. And so that's what somewhat Orca Recovery Day is about. It's like, let's do what we can do today. We know of all the barriers in Puget Sound. That has been litigated. The law of the land is that they need to be removed. We can do that today. So let's start doing it. What I'm hearing you say, Alan, is that Orca Recovery Day is really about hope. It is. And action. There's hope in all of us doing our part. That's what's been amazing about it is to see the amount of people engage on this issue, whether it's the hundreds of people that showed up last year to actually get their hands in the dirt, plant trees, restore habitat, or whether it's the tens of thousands that engage in the conversation through the social media campaign, or whether it's the thousands of people that are going to show up this year across the entire Pacific Northwest to engage in it. If we keep that momentum going and we send people home with these messages of here's what you can do in your daily life, here's what you can do on your own property that can limit the impact on orcas, we can solve this. It's our impacts that have led to this issue, but it's our impacts that will lead us out. And if we just continue to build more people actually doing it, I absolutely believe we can fix this. Alan Warren joining us. He is the Communications Development Director for the Pierce County Conservation District. My co-host is Marita Davison. So, Alan, what are some of those things that people can do in their everyday lives? Well, great example. Like, there's, there's, there's anything from really simple stuff to really more complicated stuff. A, a really simple thing is, and it seems small, but picking up after your pet. We have, in Pierce County alone, between the estimates are that we have like 800 and some thousand dogs and cats. To be quite frank, that's a lot of poop. (laughs) (laughs) And poop happens. And poop happens. (laughs) You know, and all of that carries bacteria with it. And we get 40 inches of rain around here. I'll be the first to admit, I'm not the best about picking up after my pets. I've been meaning to talk to you about that, Alan. Thank you. But that's a really simple thing. Like, just get that picked up, get it disposed of properly. 
And all that bacteria that comes with their waste doesn't end up washing down storm drains, doesn't end up right into local waterways. I think that's a misconception as well. People assume that those storm drains around their neighborhoods and houses lead into the treatment facilities, that same thing where our, when we flush the toilets go. And all it does is go straight into some local stream. It untreated. does? Oh. Yeah. You know, there's no treatment to that. Natural yard care is another good example. All the fertilizer that we put on our lawns to keep them looking green and nice, all of that gets picked up by rain, goes into the storm drains, goes out into the creeks, and that's essentially poisoning fish. So there's little things like that. A bigger thing that you could do is install a rain garden on your property. What is a rain garden? An average house is about a thousand square foot roof. That roof gets about 24,000 gallons of water from rain every year. All of that gets run off into those storm drains we were just talking about. So what you can do is a rain garden is essentially a depression that you, a landscaped depression that you put into your yard. Hard to build? Not very hard to build at all. Um, Expensive? Not very expensive to build at all. You essentially have to dig a big hole, bring in some compost or something like down in Pierce County, we have Tagro, which is a great compost product. Our conservation district, our water quality team, provides technical assistance to landowners to help them design their rain gardens. Wow. A lot of conservation districts provide similar services around Puget Sound. You channel the the outflow, you know, your storm drains from your roof, channel that into a rain garden, and it fills up with water in a storm event. And then you have native plants planted at different levels throughout the rain garden, really wet-loving ones at the bottom, and then increasingly dry ones. And you can put some berry plants in there as well. The rain from your roof goes into that depression, fills up, and then slowly filters into the ground. We're putting more water back into the ground, which in a natural setting, is where most of the rainwater goes. When you don't have concrete, when you don't have buildings, parking lots and things, water goes back into the ground. It acts like a natural filter, right? Precisely. That's a a somewhat bigger thing that you could do. Getting involved with salmon habitat restoration. So the 75 events that we have going on for Orca Recovery Day, the majority of them are restoration planting events along salmon streams. They're putting back native plants, They're creating better habitat for juvenile fish. All of those organizations, it's not like they just do it on one day of the year. They do it all the time, and they always need volunteers. And so being able to just get involved in that way in your local stream, in your local community, is another great way to do it. What I find really exciting about this is that none of the things you mentioned involve doing anything to do with the ocean, right? There are things you can do in your backyard, in your communities, on land. Do you feel that people people need to feel connected? The ultimate goal is to is to impact orcas in the ocean in their natural habitat. But do you find that um, people feel empowered by the fact that they can take these steps just in their everyday lives, just here on land? Last year, as an example, I I think so. People don't put two and two together as far as their personal impacts on the ocean. We hear a lot about climate change, and so. You, you buy a hybrid car, you reduce your emissions, and that's you doing your part. You know, the crazy thing about salmon, and like you take coho salmon as an example, there's this phenomenon called pre-spawn mortality, where coho salmon in particular get into a local stream, and if there's a, if there's a roadway that feeds into that busy roadway, 
what we're starting to see a lot of is salmon get disoriented and they die before they oh. lay their eggs. And that's because of stormwater pollution mm. off that wow. road. The scientists have done this kind of crazy CSI stuff where they've pinpointed down the chemicals of, of what's really causing it. And it's shavings from our tires. Wow. It's not simple for people to realize all the different things that we could do on land. And it's really easy also to look at Puget Sound and think, like, what a pristine place we live in. And orcas are the, the best example of that just not being true. They're the apex predator. And so if an orca population is endangered and, and dying, what that means is the ecosystem is not healthy. Right. It means everything underneath them within the ecosystem is struggling too. And that's all us. He is Alan Warren. I'm Neil Scott. My co-host is Marita Davison on Spotlight. Marita? So what can people expect on Orca Recovery Day? What's going on? It, it varies by event. So you have, like I was saying before, you've got salmon restoration events along streams. You've got rain garden installations in more urban settings. You've got some cases you'll have political leaders there to talk. You'll have tribal leaders there to talk. We have a really cool aspect where we bring in a, um, a native storyteller to our event to share some of those kind of origin stories of how the natives personally and spiritually connect with orcas. For the most part, though, what we've really tried to focus it on is getting people, regardless of what your event might be, get people actively involved in doing something to restore the systems that we need to restore, connect them to the work that needs to be done, get their hands in the dirt. And so you can walk away from it feeling like you've done something meaningful. You've done something that is helpful. And if for some reason you are not available next Saturday for Orca Recovery Day, you can reach into your back pocket, take out your checkbook, and make a donation. That's pretty simple to do. Right. Where, where would they send that money, and what would that money do? Where would it go? One of our partners is Bonneville Environmental Foundation, which has this great campaign going right now called Promise the Pod. And you can go to promisethepod.org and make donations. And all, all that money funds all the work that we've just been talking about in terms of the trees that need to be planted, the native mm -hmm. plants that need to be planted along salmon streams to restore all this, this habitat that's necessary. Promisethepod.org, we were, were able to work with them through one of their partnerships with another organization called One Tree Planted. It was great. They were able to provide $1,000 sponsorships to 25 to 30 of, of our event partners so it helped those nonprofits, which many of them are very small, pull the resources together to host one of these Orca Recovery Day events. And on top of that, for all the trees that they get planted, they can submit a form back into Promise the Pod and One Tree Planted to get 80 cents for every tree they planted. And that's not limited to Orca Recovery Day. That can be all the, the restoration events they do throughout the year they can get credit for. And so all those donations to Promise the Pod, every 80 cents on every dollar goes towards purchasing trees and just getting more trees and plants put into the ground. And I mean, clearly one day alone isn't enough, right? No. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot that will happen in one day, but, you know, there needs to be this consistent, concerted effort. Is your hope that through engagement with these activities these on this day that you'll get more committed citizens that are that are really kind of putting their their oomph behind this yeah absolutely nobody's under the misconception that one day is going to fix this one day can connect people 
right. one day can connect people in a personal way to, to make it matter in, in the hope that that behavior change, those 10 things that we've put together that you can do, you take that message home with you and actually means something to you. And then we start seeing behavior change. It's also a matter of the level of investment. Federal government, state government, city governments, county governments, we're all investing in this work to try to get orcas recovered, try to get salmon recovered. But the level of investment that's going to be necessary to actually fix this is at a scale that we haven't as of yet even come close to. You know, there's a a state process. It's built around salmon recovery called the Action Agenda. The Puget Sound Partnership leads it. And so every few years, organizations throughout the Puget Sound put together proposals as far as the, the work that they need to do to impact these issues. Between what is funded and what is asked for in terms of what the action agenda points at, there's a billion-dollar shortfall. And that's not even everything that needs to be done. And so it's partly just connecting all of us to the reality of if we want to fix this, it's going to take all of us. And it's going to take all of us working together in concert, moving in, in one direction. When I say all of us, it's not just governments. It's not just nonprofits. It's all of us. And, and not just next Saturday, but every day of the year. In the 10 actions, there are a couple of things I want to quickly mention that everybody can do all the time. And one is wash your car at a damn car wash. Right. You know, it's funny because I grew up playing sports and we would have car wash fundraisers and stuff. You feel like it's harmless. And now I look at them and I cringe every time oh. I see them. And it's again, it comes back to that storm drain issue yeah, is yeah. all that soap, all the the brake fluid, the oil that you're washing off the car goes straight into the storm drain and it goes straight out into Puget Sound. What do the car washers do with the yeah, water? They, right. they have to treat it. So mm-hmm. in the same way, so to get a commercial license for a, a car wash, all that water has to be treated on site, similar to like treatment plants for our sewage. It's the only place where Water's actually captured from streets and actually treated. It's simple, you know. You feel like it's harmless washing your car in your driveway, but it's not. So now I have a reason to feel okay about my laziness when I don't (laughs) wash my car. Another action is is safely disposing of medicine. Again, you you don't think about that, but when you flush that stuff down the storm drain, dangerous things can happen. Right. And and even even flushing it down the toilet because— Treatment plants are only set up to treat, like, certain things. Right. We're finding pharmaceuticals oh. in fish, in orca. Yeah. Like, think about that, you know. It it seems insane. Like, you would never think putting, you know, some old medicine down the drain would end up in the ecosystem. And it it's showing up in, in pretty significant measures now. Wow. Orca Recovery Day is coming up next weekend, next Saturday, October 19th. There is a lot that you can do. Uh, There are almost 80 different events. Where can people go online and find out the different events and either participate as um, a a citizen or maybe volunteer? Betterground.org is the place to go to find all of these events and and also just a lot of other information about some of these things we've been talking about, like rain gardens or different things that you can do on your own property. Betterground.org is our kind of collective website for all the conservation districts and our service model. So 
We provide everything from technical assistance for marine shoreline owners to folks that want to install urban community gardens to farmland conservation to depave, which is something Marita and I have worked on together as well, riparian plantings. And so betterground.org is this just wonderful resource that we're building. And it has part of it, Orca Recovery Day information, where it shows all the conservation district events and then all of our partner events, shows our sponsors. And that's just where to go to find all the information. And with 80 events, you're going to be able to find something that's right nearby. And if you can't, Dig out your checkbook, get your credit card, make a donation. Yep, donate at promisebot.org. I think we've learned a lot about uh, Orca Recovery Day. I urge you to participate at whatever level you can. Our guest has been Alan Warren. He is the Communications and Development Director for the Pierce County Conservation District. And my co-host has been Marita Davis, and she's the co-founder of Caravan Lab. And that uh, website is caravanlab.com. Marita, thank you for for joining me in this discussion. Thanks, Neil. This was great. Alan, it was a pleasure learning about uh, not only the orcas, but about what people can do, what I can do as a citizen, not only next Saturday on Orca Recovery Day, but every single day of the year. Well, I appreciate you having me. It's been great. Thanks for listening to South Sound Spotlight. I'm Neil Scott. Enjoy the rest of your weekend.